Welcome, my name is Peter Preston and you're listening to the Dear Video Podcast, where I share resources and behind the scenes looks at building better connections with customers, clients, and even colleagues with the top video marketers who are doing this stuff every day. Today, we're joined by Adam Palmer. He's a content production manager at Nuffield Health and a freelance filmmaker in the UK. Adam, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. So you mentioned in the pre-interview questionnaire that you wanted to talk about working with businesses to create better art. And I'm curious what that means to you in in a business sense. Should businesses be creating art? And is that how you approach doing video for your various clients and the people that you work with? Yeah, I guess, yeah, for me, it's, if you look at companies these days and you look at the changing, you know, distribution platforms with YouTube and stuff like that, I feel that now we expect businesses to not just kind of sell us products, but also tell us stories and give us a little bit of, you know, meaning behind why we would, you know, part with our part with our cash and be basically part of their their kind of tribe. Yeah. And if I, I'm looking across kind of the the kind of commercial landscape and stuff like and you know on YouTube and stuff like that, you know, some of the the work that I admire most I'm seeing coming out of that kind of commercial commercial space. Yeah. And I think that fundamentally us as people and you know us as part of organizations should tell a story. And I feel that, you know, fundamentally that kind of storytelling is you know is a fundamental part of of art and yeah you know being able to go into a business and talk with them and basically try and uh, be able to express that and put it into moving images is something that i'm um pretty passionate about yeah and you know something that i've really really enjoyed and feel that i've gotten um gotten pretty good at over the past 10 years so that's i find that to be really interesting because when i first read that answer, I immediately go to sort of like high art, fine art, not art house films or anything like that, but like the, the Apple iPod commercials, or if you look at a lot of the stuff that Nike puts out, you know, just high production value, what could be considered art. And when I went there, it seems like that's kind of unattainable for a lot of businesses. But if you're looking at it as storytelling as art. And I like what you said about inviting people to become a part of the tribe. That feels like it's a lot more approachable and attainable for just about anybody, right? So it's it's the art of yeah, building those connections said, more so. Yeah, I can't remember who said the definition of art. What was it? That, you know, it should have no purpose other than its itself. You know, <laughs> so yeah, I think when people think of art, they look at like, you know, you know, paintings and stuff like that. But, you know, most of the times when you, you know, you know, you know, paintings sell, you know, so there is this kind of intrinsic business link to them. Yeah. And so I feel that, you know, there's, there's nothing, you know, sacrilegious. I don't think about producing this, a beautiful, you know, brand commercial or, or a beautiful piece of branded content that expresses you know, the organization's kind of philosophy. And if you kind of buy into that, then, then, you know, why shouldn't you? Yeah. And I guess really that that can be fairly simple, right? Like it doesn't have to be, I guess the, the lens I'm, I'm trying to look at it through is like if you're a small business owner and to create art might feel like it's too high of a hurdle. So I'll, I'll throw that back at you. Like, so if, if it's a small business, small budget, you know, what, how would you 
go about creating art for someone like that? I think big or small, I would always classify it as that they need to have a, a story and a kind of message that they're trying to trying to get across and then, you know, hire the right creative so you feel that can actually bring that to life. So, I mean, I've, I've worked on a company that sells screwdrivers. So it's like probably one of the, the, the things that you would say is least artistic. It has such a kind of like, you know, manual, functional kind of use. But then when you talk about what those these said so that they were very high-end screwdrivers they used them in mclaren f1 cars and stuff like that and you said like, okay well look at what you're helping to achieve and i think they were also what used on building boeing planes and stuff like that so so this is the story it's not that you build screwdrivers it's <laughs> that you're helping it's that you're helping people you know live their dream of going to the bahamas on a boeing seven you know 737 or whatever yeah. or you're helping you know lewis hamilton the world champion you know lift that f1 winners trophy at the end yeah. of the season so that that's your story it's not that you know this thing can tie in a bolt it's that you're part of this bigger picture yeah i really like that i think there's i don't know i feel like there's this this kind of education that needs to happen to a lot of business owners so i i've had a marketing agency for a number of years and it was often the case that you'd bring up video in a meeting and that would be the end of the meeting. It's like, no, you're just trying to run, run out my budget. You think it's not about spending all of your money. <laughs> it's about using a medium that connects with people. And yeah, it was often that a, it was the budget, but then B, you know, what are the stories that you that you want to tell? And yeah, like how are you going to build that tribe? And you're not buying a screwdriver, you're buying, you know, what the screwdriver does for you, that sort of thing. And often ran into difficult conversations. So yeah, um, I think kind of really communicating that ROI of video is always, because it's a quite often it's a shot in the dark, you know, yeah. I and mean, you've seen huge budget films, there's a hundred million dollars and you expect them, you know, they've got the best talent in the world doing it. So, you know, you know, to try and pitch in a, a project is sometimes quite difficult. Yeah. So I think the, always, the way you always have to speak, this is a little bit off topic, I guess, but you always have to, or I find you always have to speak the language of the, the business. Mm. So you say, okay, well then, you know, if you're, if this video is going to cost, you know, 10,000 pounds, let's say, how many of your product do you need to sell to recoup that? And you go, and then, you know, if it's three, then you go, okay, well then we should be able to do that. Right. If it's mm. a thousand, then it's probably a little bit more of a, you're probably pitching it a little bit too high. So kind of going into the, into the pitch meeting or going into any meeting with the business where you're expecting to, to try and talk them into video. I'd always keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah. That's good advice. I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it though. Just like working with businesses to create better art. Yeah. Like, do you feel like that's a personal mission of yours to kind of help people realize that they can be making art instead of looking at it as just the, well, I mean, if it's a business, they want an ROI, right? Like, so if it's an ad, they want it to convert, but there's the softer side of things that the, the building, the tribe sort of thing. Do you find yourself like having to convince people of that? People always generally agree with that. The thing that they generally, uh, they'll always agree with that sentiment and, but they'll just have a different idea of what that should, should look like sometimes. Mm. I guess my kind of, it always pains me to see, uh, terrible if i've worked with any of my clients or even nuffield health so we have agencies that work on a lot of stuff it, it always yeah pains me to see stuff that looks really poor or like yeah. looks terrible 
people, I always feel like, why, you know, it's, you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't look like that. So I guess my, I guess my mission would always be to try and make sure that this, that, you know, I don't feel there should be any excuse at this current stage with the amount of people who are doing this type of work and the quality that's out there, that the, the, any of these kind of videos should look, look bad basically. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of my mission to make sure that as much of the kind of corporate world stuff looks, you know, looks good as possible. Yeah. I think that's a good mission. If you can turn it into art, all the better. I think. I guess like the way I've always approached kind of producing videos, filming and editing and stuff, I've always looked at it from kind of an artistic point of view. So I think obviously there's that kind of commercial gain that they want to get out of it. Yeah. But you know, fundamentally you're trying to tell a story and you're trying to connect mm-hmm. with an audience. And I think you know, from my perspective, that is, you know, that is art. Yeah. And, you know, I think even though there is kind of a commercial game to be got out of it, it's definitely a useful way to approach it for businesses. Mm-hmm. And I, I would totally agree with you. I think there is an art to storytelling and there's an art to both visually audio, with audio, the written word, it's all, it's all an art form. I, I was kind of curious to see how you defined art in that sense, because I mean, if you look at some, some brands, I mean, you could take Apple, for example, and say iPod commercials, I don't know, they were pretty striking stuff and art in and of itself, or more recently, I've been exposed to a few things in in like the craft beer space, which I know is a curveball, but I just found out that there are awards given for can design, you know? (laughs) And so it's like, that's a very tangible form of art and just, yeah, interesting to to hear uh, sort of what your definition of art is. Yeah, I think another way to put it would be: I feel with art, you kind of you kind of know what it is when you see it. You know, when you mm. see that kind of beautiful car commercial, you see that beautiful you know, beer commercial, beautiful whiskey commercial, or something like that. It makes you think differently about the subject and and kind of challenges you. Mm. Then, yeah, I think for me, it's always been combining that kind of that story and that message with like a real aesthetic style yeah. that, um, yeah, that people can look at and just kind of go, whoa. Mm. And do you find that companies and brands have, well, I should say companies have enough of a brand behind them to have that sort of aesthetic or is that something that you help them develop? So it's, I think it's always great. So for me to be able to feel like I've actually put my mark uh, on something and I'm useful, you know, I feel like if they just wanted someone to kind of turn up with a camera, mm-hmm. you know, hit record and just let them kind of do their thing, I f- wouldn't really feel too kind of fulfilled. So I'm quite lucky in the fact that I've worked with majority of kind of small to medium sized companies, mm-hmm. uh, Nuffield being one of the biggest, but I've always felt that my creativity was used and I've never really felt too kind of, you know, had my hands tied in terms of feeling that I couldn't at least, you know, say my piece and try and push the envelope, even if it wasn't accepted. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, you know, that is an important thing for brands to try and kind of push the agenda. And really, if they're hiring people, particularly creatives, to make sure that they actually utilize them properly. (laughs) I think that's a good point. Yeah. (laughs) Do you find that you have a lot of conversations or I shouldn't say a lot, but you have conversations with clients or potential clients where they come to you with those ideas and maybe they're not 
as receptive as you want them to be? Is, is there a way that you kind of work through that with them? Yeah. So a lot of the times, I think more and more, I, I'd say the vast majority of the time, companies come to me with a plan in place. They've already kind of gone through it in their head about what they kind of want the story to be and what they kind of yeah want the, the general message to kind of feel like. And uh, I think I feel mainly a kind of technical role of how to how to deliver that and actually almost like a translator in terms of, okay, so you want this thing to be very uplifting and um, happy and you want it to feel um, very intimate. And then I've got to basically translate that into a kind of visual language. So, you know, okay, then we're going to be shooting, you know, all this like lovely, beautiful scenic imagery and, you know, shooting like tight close-ups and stuff like that. So basically being able to translate what the client wants into actual kind of visual and creative medium. Yeah. But like in terms of the, the kind of actually coming up with the, the whole kind of story element of it, I'd say I, I, particularly in the last three or four years, I've been kind of doing less and less of that and more of the actual delivery and kind of technical implementation mm-hmm. of how to achieve those things. Okay. And is that where you see your career going? It's continuing down that technical side or would you prefer to kind of be back maybe on the pre-production side where there's the planning and the sort of the creative, I will call it ideation ahead of time. Yeah. So I think I've worked for about 10 years kind of in content production, video production. And I think for the first five years I did pretty much all videography stuff. So that was basically what everyone probably knows, but it's a combination of roles. So you normally turn up and there'll be a a two, three man um, team. And typically you're kind of, you know, you'll do not only the, actual like filming and camera operation, but some of the audio recording and, yeah. you know, the lighting as well. And everyone kind of is like a multi-skilled person. And then obviously you'll go back and you'll generally do the post-production as well. And uh, I'd say when that was initially when I was being involved a lot more in the uh, ideation stage uh, in that first stage where it was basically around, okay, like, you know, what is it that we're going to do to sell X product or, or you know, get this message across? And I think for the past kind of four years at least, I've been steadily moving into being a director of photography mainly. Mm. Um, so now most of the clients I work with and uh, Nuffield as well, we bring in directors, producers, you know, assistant camera and people, gaffers and stuff like that. And we work kind of as a more, I guess, traditional film set. Okay. And I think from that transition, that's been when I've, basically moved slightly more into the kind of technical role, even though cinematographers obviously got a very big creative element to it. Typically the marketing teams and the directors and stuff, they'll already have a kind of of vision of it. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be there to kind of implement it and yeah, make sure it um, translates properly into a moving image. I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Translating. (laughs) I know there'd be a lot of translating involved in, in most of my briefs, I'm sure. So that all sounds like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it hasn't changed for you, but has that way of working changed since the pandemic hit? Is that something that you're still doing? Are you still having big teams show up and doing like full productions or are you more remote and dealing with that these days? Yeah. I mean, it's been as for everyone, a bit of a crazy time the last six months. So 
I've been extremely fortunate in the fact that Nuffield Health as a healthcare company have worked throughout and they've um, continued to want to get productions done. So yeah, like I've been working throughout, but for the first month of production, it was mainly just in uh, kind of helping with briefs and stuff for when things open up again, but also a lot of editing. So I'm not really an editor, but I was fortunate enough basically to get enough edit work in, you know, kind of March April, May time mm-hmm. to kind of tide me over. And then when it came to June and July, I had a couple of longer productions on. And uh, yeah, it was a completely different way of working. So it was as opposed to having kind of a 10 man team, it was typically like a, a three or four man team and oh. then and then talent. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of social distancing and mask wearing and, and stuff like that. So it was a quite a big change for me but i would say i have don't i can't really complain about anything because at the end of the day i've been able to still work throughout the pandemic yeah so yeah still yeah still get videos produced what's been interesting having conversations during the pandemic is that people have kind of say as their careers have have shifted and they've kind of gone one way or the other within within the video space that once the pandemic hit and the teams shrunk, like you said, from 10 to three, that they found themselves doing more of the jobs and taking on more of those roles. Has that been true for you as well? Just experience of, like, there's only three of us now, so someone's got to, you know, like lift that box and you're behind the camera too. Yeah, definitely. I'd say like with a couple of jobs, particularly for Nuffield that I've been doing, I've filled a lot more of the role of director because they were like, oh, why do you need a director? You know, we know we know what it's going to be. It's going to be like this interview and that and blah, blah, blah. So you can basically just do that. So that's been quite challenging because obviously director's a huge role. <laughs> so that's what cinematographer. Uh, and then apart from that, it was really the smaller, not, not they're not smaller roles, but the kind of, you know, only having one in the lighting and electric department yeah. um, is, you know, a real challenge because if you've got, you know, three, four lights set up, just saying, oh, yeah, okay, we need to, to move and do another setup. You know, that's a huge ask of a single person. Mm. Uh, and the same with, you know, the, normally I'd have a first and a second AC. Yeah. And so most of the times it's just been running with a first AC. So that's been very difficult, particularly on kind of two camera shoots because you're I'm basically asking the AC to then double up as an operator on the second cam. So, yeah, it's been it's been an ask. But, yeah, I've enjoyed it the whole time. It's been kind of a, a challenge. But I am looking forward to that time when eventually the cool shoots have a few more lines on them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we all are. Right? Yeah, definitely. Opening back up would be nice. Something else that you touched on ahead of the interview was showing only your best work. The the quote that I have here is only show your best work. It sounds simple, but I see a lot of people putting out hundreds of videos and that dilutes the really good stuff. I get the premise of that like 100%. I'd like to explore the the other side of it is and it, like what's your take on kind of working in public and showing your work as you go. So in terms of the I'll just I guess I'll just explain the why I put down only show your best work. I think for me when I've I've had to hire quite a lot of people so like editors and you know sometimes cinematographers and stuff like that. And the ones I've always found, you know, when I'm looking at, at hiring someone, I'm, I'm pretty much always just going to click on the kind of first first video on their site after looking at their CV. And so many times I would go on there and there would be this huge gallery of stuff. And 
I just kind of got a little bit lost and, you know, and you're basically asking someone to kind of pick a lottery because everyone knows who works that you might shoot, you know, 30 videos in a year. You're probably happy with about two or three of them. Mm. Um, so if you're posting those only other kind of 27, you know, you'll, there's a 90% chance that someone's going to view work that you feel isn't the best representation of yourself. So that's kind of why, yeah, I would, I would say definitely kind of, you know, only show those kind of really, really good pieces of work that you're happy with. But going back to the kind of working in, in public and kind of publishing as you go, I think it is important to make sure that you kind of, you get your name out there. So people understand that you are, you are, you know, working and people are hiring you and, you know, you're, you're competent and all that stuff. But I, I don't think that you really need to, you know, be posting on Instagram every single every single day from stills from every single production that you're doing. I would say, you know, little and often, at least is my approach, goes a long way. And, you know, I think people are going to be much more impressed if you're posting the behind the scenes from the, the Nike ad that you're doing as opposed to the, you know, the corporate video where you're interviewing, you know, the HR person. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Okay. Yeah, that was, I wasn't sure which lens to look at that through, I guess, pardon the pun really. Yeah. Like if it's say, yeah, an operator that wants to find work, that's maybe a freelancer, I get it totally on that side of things. I was just curious if you also meant like as a business and of course a business doesn't want to put out, you know, you wouldn't be posting the garbage on your website, but yeah, I feel like there's, and I, I, something I'm just exploring is think there's the body of work that at some point seems to tip the scales a little bit in your favor where, you know, not all the work might be your best work, but it, you're showing a volume of work and experience and kind of demonstrating that you've either tried a lot of things or experimented and, you know, that you're learning as you go. Yeah. I think the way I, yeah, the, the way I approach that is quite often, if I've got like a music video or a short film or commercial or something coming up and I'll always send through the kind of, you know, the three or three or four best or direct them to my website, which show the kind of three or four best things I feel like I've done recently. But I'll always say like, Hey, if there's anything, you know, that you want to see specifically, I have, you know, obviously like a large amount of work done that might be more relevant to the kind of story that you want to tell mm-hmm. so i'd say like kind of hold those back and, and and be willing to kind of like bring those forward yeah yeah you definitely don't want to be you know like uh, holding back on any experience that might get you the job but i'd say you know it's probably better to show them something that's awesome that's maybe not quite in the same category as what they're looking for yeah as to kind of you know go forward with something that might be a little bit um below par but it's more relevant to their that particular industry. Yeah. Cool. I get it. All right. Shifting gears a little bit. So you had built a production company before and you sold off, you'd sold that off. I think that was back in, was it 2012? If I saw that right. Am I? Yes. That right? Uh, what, what kind of work were you doing with the production company? Yeah. So that was, I worked, this is when I was at university. So my second year at university, basically Mm -hmm. I realized that the production module that the university was offering wasn't really that fulfilling. So I did what a lot of people did at that time and kind of buy a a 5D or a 7D, one of the Canons. Basically just went filming music videos, short films, all of this stuff, built a reel. And then through the university, I actually got a, an internship at a production company and they did a ton of corporate work. 
and kind of through that I kind of learned basically how to move in the kind of corporate world and I got myself a few clients here and there which were kind of either working with university or or through this production company doing kind of kind of smallish stuff and then when I got to my fourth year and I was graduating I partnered up with a, a friend in the course because I basically I, was having, I had too many clients to actually <laughs> to actually do myself and I realized I can't be I realized what all the other members of the team actually did when you're trying to go up to a on a shoot and it's just you and your 5d and you know your road mic and boom and you're trying to do everything interview them record everything and then go into the editing it was just getting too much so we worked together for about 18 months and then at the end of the 18 months after we graduated we had a fair like quite a nice roster of clients going on the on the books Mm -hmm. but i had always wanted to go to australia i'd always wanted to go traveling for a bit and so I spoke to him and I said, hey, you know, I'm looking to take, you know, a year or two out and just kind of go traveling and kind of, yeah, get out of the UK for a little bit. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. And so we basically came to an agreement where he purchased my half um, of the company. And and then, yeah, I went away. And then when I came back, kind of picked up the freelance straight away from there. Yeah. So it was kind of a, a bit of a whirlwind. Like the, the production company, it was obviously, you know, fairly small. It was basically two kind of undergrads doing you know corporate videos but it was good because i got that experience early on about how to you know interact with clients how to pitch stuff and then i got experience of every single stage of the process all the way through from the pitch through to them delivering it to them so it's a really invaluable experience from my perspective just learning a little bit about the the kind of business side of it yeah Um, and then obviously it was great fun you know know, filming videos and stuff is what i like to do so yeah yeah it was uh, it was definitely a good time and I'd like to ask a bit more about about the, that business, but I also want to sort of compare it to. So you did the had your own production company. You've done a lot of freelance, and recently you've been spending a lot of time with Nuffield as maybe not full time, but as like a pretty regular client. What do you find? What do you find the difference to be? I mean, obviously, there's a lot more autonomy as a as a freelancer and owning your own production company. But do you get more resources when you're working with someone like Nuffield? What are the pros and cons of going either way? Would you say? Yeah, I kind of think about that all the time. Really, <laughs> you're always kind of like nostalgic about oh, I'm freelance. I could just work with whoever I wanted, and if I, you know, then with that. yeah. So Nuffield were actually initially one of my clients from that from when I was at university. So. Oh, cool. uh, when I came back, I basically worked for a year or two just doing um, freelance uh, again. And then they, there was a role that came up and um, I messaged them and they said, hey, yeah, that sounds, sounds good. Come in and, uh, and we'll check it out. And I think at that stage, one of the things that I was really kind of missing was I really liked the team aspects of – I really liked the team aspect of, of work – and when you're a freelancer, everyone kind of gets together on the project and then everyone goes their own separate way and then everyone's on different projects. And hmm. um, projects I was doing are typically short ones. You know, most of the time it would be like maximum kind of a week-long shoot. Yeah. And most of the time it'd be kind of like two, three days. So I, having, you know, not had the experience since I'd, well, since I graduated of actually having that kind of like workplace I, that was quite appealing to me. And at the time, Nuffield basically said like, hey, we're going to make a, a content team, which is going to be made up of producers, editorial writers, editors, you know, camera operators and stuff like that. And uh, I really like the companies. They're, they're a not-for-profit charity in the UK. 
So all of the money gets reinvested into the company and they have a bunch of kind of charitable schemes that they run based around helping young people or people with, you know, severe joint pain and stuff like that. So the actual company I really liked and the the people in the team I really liked. And so, yeah, I mean, it seemed like a really good opportunity at the time. And also it was going to be interesting to work in, in a way where when you're a freelancer, you never really know where your next meal is coming from. So you're just hoping at certain points in the month, you're hoping that that email kind of pings and then you're going to, you're going to have work in the next two weeks. So having that kind of, yeah, like having no stress regardless of that was quite appealing as well. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the whole, the whole thing I felt like, Oh, you know, it might be interesting as a change. And, and since then my actual, the actual work I do, I'd say, or the, the, the style of the way I work didn't really change too much. Mm. Um, I almost work kind of like a freelancer within the company because all parts of the company kind of message me and ask me for either advice or, you know, to, to do a budget for a project or whatever like that. So it hasn't really changed too much in terms of like the way I work, but having that kind of team around me and having actual like regular kind of work colleagues. Yeah. has been really nice. Hmm. Yeah. I, there's something to be said for the security <laughs> of a full-time job. <laughs> if you were to go back and this is, I could, I guess I could phrase this in a couple of ways. Like, what would you tell your younger self? But if you were to start a production company today, what would you, what lessons would you bring with you? And maybe what did you, what did you try back then that you know you wouldn't do it again? So uh, go with the, the lessons learned. Like, what are the key skills that you feel like you learned then that you would need now? Yeah, I'd say like the biggest thing that I would probably tell myself is when I got, it's probably quite a common thing, but when I first went to university, I thought I was amazing. Like I had quite a big ego. I thought I basically knew everything and I was going to be the next, you know, Roger Deakins and Christopher Nolan combined. And I was this kind of like prodigy. (laughs) And then as I've gotten older, I've realized how wrong I was. And I think the problem that I had when I was at university was it made me slightly less collaborative because I would just kind of assume like, oh, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just awesome. And these people will just kind of like slow me down. And then as I've gone through my career, I've realized, no, like the filmmaking is a collaborative endeavor and you need other people to help you. And, you, you know, you need to help other people as well. It's a, it's a team effort. And yeah, you're never going to really get anywhere without, you know, that kind of ability to collaborate and um, work as a team to achieve to achieve a goal yeah. so i'd say definitely just like leave your ego at the door and just go in you know and make friends network and just generally be yeah a little bit more a little bit more humble i'd say um, <laughs> and apart from that in terms of things that i definitely that i did did wrong i would say I think I was a bit late in determining exactly what I wanted to do as a specialism. So I think from a very young age, I knew that I wanted to work in film, but I didn't know what all of those names at the end on the credits actually did, like what Best Boy was, what a director. So I would just, whenever anyone asked what I wanted to do, I would just say like, oh, I just want to be a filmmaker, Mm. you know, and that's kind of like a good starting point, but you have to really, you know, dig down into, okay, what is it that you like? You know, do you like, you know, working with lights? Do you want to be a gaffer? Do you like, you know, operating the camera or do you like, you know, directing? Do you like the writing side of stuff like that? And it's only been in the last few years that I realized, you know, that I definitely wanted to want to be a cinematographer long-term. Okay. And I feel like oh, I wish I kind of knew this when I went 
into my education because I could have tailored um, my education a lot more towards the skills that are required kind of for mm-hmm. that particular role. Do you feel um, like you well. would have, do you feel like you would have maybe missed out on opportunities to be more well-rounded though, if you did that? I guess you can never really know. Yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, yeah. I guess uh, maybe a better way of putting it is like you've come to that realization after having tried everything and kind of been through it. So I just, yeah, I wonder, I kind of, like you said before, like you're, you know, especially when you're, you're 18 and you're going to university, I was the same way. I thought I knew enough that, you know, all these corporate jokes that could just, that thought they knew what they were doing. Clearly they don't, but I, you know, turns out I had no idea what I actually wanted to do with my life, but yeah, just, yeah, I definitely think there, there is an element of that. Yeah, I think yeah. like having you know tried all the different kind of areas. I mean, maybe I've never tried makeup, so maybe I'm actually. <laughs> I've never tried. You never know. Um, yeah, I, I think it would have. I think it would have been better if I had really researched more. I guess it might mm. really kind of looked into actually what the career pathways were. I just kind of went and did a film course because I knew I wanted to do film. Got it. I feel like I should have maybe been a little bit always had that in the back of my mind as these are the kind of roles that I definitely see myself in it is nice I've kind of kind of organically just kind of landed there after I've basically said like I really don't want to do that I really don't want to do that I guess I just would have liked to get there a little quicker I see what you mean really is yeah just been a bit more deliberate about as you said like knowing what the roles are knowing what you enjoy about it and yeah, so I, I think that's definitely, that could be a, a pretty good takeaway. I was having a conversation earlier today with another producer that has been largely, well, always has had a job and been on the, the corporate sort of client side and is exploring this, this urge to kind of go out on his own. And so I'm curious, that, that's partly why I'm asking is, you know, like what would what would take you out again? And then what would you see yourself really doing? Because especially the second time around, I feel like you would have that idea of this is the part, this is the role that I want to play. So if you were to start a production company now, you would put yourself in the role, that cinematographer role, I'm assuming, right? And kind of build on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I've probably been doing more of the the freelance stuff probably for the last two years after I really realized exactly what that that role I wanted to do was because I, I I looked at my CV and I looked at my reel and I was like okay well you know the biggest part of the biggest advantage if you're a cinematographer is, is basically having a roster of directors who you work with regularly who are going to bring you onto those projects directors and producers and I realized at this at that point that I had maybe you know two or three that I would work with semi regularly but they kind of saw me as more of a videographer. So they would expect me to kind of come and bring the whole production with me apart as opposed to just that particular element of, you know, the camera and kind of lighting department. Mm. And so I've really been trying to network a lot and kind of make those connections so that eventually when, or if I do go freelance full time again, I'll be able to, I'll be seen as a cinematographer and I'll be seen yeah, just in that particular role. And I'll be able to kind of progress my career forward kind of a bit more precisely. Yeah. Um, and in terms of kind of the production company side of things, I I kind of to and fro because I think, you know, owning a production company, it's 
it's great that you're kind of that you're, you're the boss. So even if I wanted to do just the cinematography, you know, there would be all of the other administration that I would have to do. And, you know, the typical stuff of, you know, talking to the clients and things like that, if I was actually running it all and just myself. So I'm kind of still in two minds, which way I would take it if I were to go kind of freelance full time again, yeah. whether or not I would just do, you know, myself as a, you know, cinematographer and go out and work with other production companies or whether I'd want to set up my yeah, own production company again. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. Yeah. As a business owner, you don't, yeah, you've got at least a couple jobs that, <laughs> that you're probably on full time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is it about cinematography that, that you love doing and like what pulled you in that direction over anything else? Yeah, I feel it's just like the other areas I realized the aspects that I really didn't like. And then cinematography was where I kind of ended up. So initially I was like, I was dead set on being a director. And uh, I do write kind of semi-regularly. And I do kind of see myself as a, I know I read quite a bit and see myself kind of as a, as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say I really, I probably shouldn't say this, but working with actors, I find a little bit tedious quite a lot of the time. They're obviously by nature quite dramatic. And I would just say that, you know, kind of going in there and, yeah, and, you know, t- talking to them about how they want to kind of emotionally, you know, play the scene and stuff like that. I was never really as comfortable yeah. with that aspect as I was in terms of the framing and the camera movement. And I quite like, I'm a bit of a, a geek at heart as well. So I really like the kind of gadgets. Yeah. I feel like cinematography is just the best role for that because, you have the creative aspect of it. So you can kind of yeah tell a story visually, but you also have all these like great toys that you can play with and <laughs> the basic amount of computers these days that you can take apart and like plug in again. So that, that part really, 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 really excited me as well. Yeah. That, that, that resonates. That's a, a big problem that I have is finding new <laughs> things to play with and stopping myself from doing that all the time, pretty much any given day. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be looking I'm at a new camera. Set. Something. When yeah. Yeah. The, when you're on set, the first thing that anyone producer or client, they'll come over and they'll, they'll just like look at the camera and be like, wow, ask you some questions about that. And it, being a cinematographer is great because you can just stand there and just explain all of this cool technology. <laughs> See, I, think being, I think being a geek about these kind of things is, is awesome. I mean, you know, like I, ultimately that's where everyone wants to be in life, right? Is to be able to just geek out on yeah. <laughs> things that Absolutely. they enjoy. So I'm with you. I, I, I do. I also understand what you mean by dealing with the talent and the actors and you've, you've dealt with a a wide range of talent then from people who are comfortable in front of the camera to people that aren't. So as someone that maybe didn't find that to be like the best fit for you, like what, what have you learned and how have you learned how to, how to deal with that and, and still continue to work with actors and, or maybe let's say, someone at corporate that wants to be in the video, but isn't comfortable being in the video. How do you approach working with them and kind of getting them to the point where you're going to get something good out of them? Yeah. So when I have had to fill that role, I think I'm generally a fairly relaxed laid back person and all the people I generally hire are the same. Mm. I don't feel like I've really ever had a, a super kind of high pressure situation where we've turned the camera on. I know there's, there's a inherent, you know, part of being in front of camera that is kind of high pressure but generally just kind of like 
chatting with people normally kind of relaxing them and just telling them through the whole process i think people are always just fit, afraid of the unknown so yeah. it's, it's like as soon as you tell them exactly what's going to happen and, and even telling them like okay don't worry if you get nervous for the you know the, the first 10 minutes or whatever it's fine everything will just we'll just redo the beginning again and like we've got you know a million you know memory cards so just just don't worry and yeah it's just kind of yeah you know instantly when you when you speak to someone i think when they uh, step on set how they're going to react when you turn when you turn the camera on so i think everyone's kind of aware of that and just you know working with them at the end of the day everyone's there to make them look good so you just have to make it clear that that's that's you know your job and you're gonna you know you're gonna work with everyone to make sure that that happens yeah Going back to the cinematography side of things, let's let's geek out a little bit. So, what's your favorite piece of kit at the moment? Like, what are you really either working with or something that you would like to be working with? I guess the dream bit of kit. So, I did a production last year, or no, sorry, early this year, on the um, Alexa Mini LF, so the large format version of the Alexa and the mm-hmm. size Supremes. And uh, yeah, at the moment, that's my dream camera, you know, so I think it's a hundred thousand pounds or something like that. So yeah, uh, yeah definitely rental only at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Working, kind of working with that, you kind of see uh, how far things have come and where things are, are going in that, in that kind of space. And so working with that was, yeah, incredible. Apart from the Alexa, I'm trying to think. I'm looking quite a lot into HDR at the moment. I mm-hmm. feel like I jumped on, so I've worked a lot with RED. So I'm an owner operator of a, a RED camera. And I think I, when they first came out, I was maybe a little bit naive and I just looked at the resolution and I was like, oh, this, these cameras can shoot like 6K, 8K. They're like unbelievable. And they are definitely unbelievable cameras. But I think as I've gone on a little bit more and kind of learned a little bit more and actually kind of looked at it, I, I've realized now that, you know, maybe certain other aspects such as dynamic range and you know uh, color rendering and stuff like that is maybe slightly more important uh, and i've been looking quite a lot at the kind of new hdr monitors that small hd and yeah atomus have been bringing out and i, th- I really want to basically get a hdr project going so yeah i'd say hdr is kind of the next one on my bucket list <laughs> I love it. Where can we send people to go and have a look at what you're working on now and your portfolio? I've got my portfolio, which is fullscolor.co.uk. Mm-hmm. I haven't updated it for a, you know, a fair while, you know, for the last six months or so. So I'd say if you want to kind of um, keep up to date with the stuff I'm working on at the moment, it's probably just my uh, Instagram page, which cool. is at Adam Palmer DP. So I'll post on there, you know, weekly pretty much. So yeah, if you want to catch me, go to those places. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you like this content and want to learn more about how to leverage video for your business, for yourself, please head over to dearvideo.com, sign up to receive our video marketing playbooks where we go deep into the strategies, the tactics, the processes, and even the tools that you can use to make the right video at the right time so you can grow your business and connect with your audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts. Give Dear Video a rating. We'd love to hear from you, and the feedback is always important to us. Thanks so much for listening. Go make some awesome video. And until next time, see ya.